and welcome to our storytelling conversation. We are here with Beverly Schwartz. Beverly, thank you so much for your story. It was just absolutely wonderful. <clears throat> and this is our conversation about storytelling and storytellers. And Beverly, you taught school for years in upstate New York, as Pat mentioned, and I grew up in on Long Island in New York State, so we kind of share a New York State connection, a New York State of mind, except uh, as a kid, upstate New York was like a foreign country to me, so I barely knew where Albany was, let alone Troy. But anyway, that's a little bit of background and on to our story, and it was an amazing story. And your story speaks to me and I imagine to many of us about a kind of personal courage and a sort of strength of character, to use that phrase. I think not all of us would have a chutzpah to do what you did. So could you share a little bit about how you came by that? Is that something you grew up with, came on later? How did that, how did that come to be? Well, I've always, I've always been... Um forward. For example, um, when I was a little girl, I wanted to play baseball like the boys and was told it was for girls. So two friends and I organized um, when we were in fifth, sixth grade, a summer of girls little league, the first in the US. And we organized it, had six teams and we played um, little league every Saturday morning of all of us girls. And I realized at that point is, you know, if you don't speak up, nothing's going to get done. If you want something, you might just have to do it. And um, I just, you know, did things like that throughout my life. And I was only in my 20s when the plane happened. But it showed me that, um, you know, if you have to stick up for yourself and believe in yourself. And that's very important. If you think what you're sticking up for is right, you do it no matter what people think. Well, it still took courage, it seems to me. As I said, strength and character. And, and you know, there was a person here tonight, um, Phyllis Conroy. She um, showed me how to use a computer for the first time. And I wrote a little book called Travel Troubleshooters. And I published it and did radio shows up and down the East Coast, helping people know where to go and who to call if they had travel problems to try to resolve it. So that was, your experience was kind of a harbinger of things to come. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Now, and, did you do more with that beyond the uh, creation of the book? That seems like no, a lot no, of work. I, I went on to other things. Um, when I was in the 80s, um, I was like felt like really horrible because the New York State was having a statewide test for third, fourth, or fifth graders hands-on. And I didn't want to look bad that I wasn't a good teacher and I couldn't teach science. I read, I discussed, that was about it. So when I learned that, I went over to RPI, took a walk and found a, um, some people. And I said, I need help. And that's how I started STEM, was thinking outside of the box again. And um, I did a collaborative partnership with, I found students, I found professors, I found professionals in the area. And they all came to the classroom and they would demonstrate and then break up into groups and do hands-on science. And when I had to teach the human body, I, Call the hospital and said, do any of your medical students like to come? So they came to my room and it just blossomed to where other teachers said, can we do the same thing because you're doing what we need to do for the test. And we ended up um, after winning the Christy McAuliffe Award, NBC did a special on things oh. that work. 
And um, Jane Pauley did it and Ann Curry came up and filmed it. And from there, we, I got invited with a few other people to, um, can you make us a board? And maybe we can do this in the four counties of Albany, Schenectady, Rensselaer and Saratoga. And we did, and we formed a 501c3 and we became a non-for-profit hands-on science organization, going to schools, doing science fairs, gifted and talented, homeschooling, we did everything. And it caught on and people from the US said, how can we do it? And I would tell them how we did it. And now it's worldwide and I'm very proud of that, but you know, just doing what I had to do to make sure I met the needs of the kids. So the McAuliffe Award that you won was a function of your original STEM work with those two yes. connected in some way? Yes, it, they, I got um, the award for you know, actually creating that, that um, STEM. Wow. And we called it STEM from the very beginning in about, we called it Learn Tech the first year, and then we kind of transferred over to the word STEM, and then we uh, made it legal, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math in New York State. So this way we could, you know, get big funds from people to really go forward, which we did. And we ran it for, it's our 30th anniversary this year. Really? I, I did wow. it in 1986. I started it, but it's about a good 30 years now. Is there a website where people can go and you know we at? made a mistake we closed it down in like 2008 and we we didn't think you know about it and we gave up our website and our our, our you know dot org page and everything and we regret it now but you know what we're going to do is I've been going to RPI and I'm talking to our congressman Paul Tonko and um, possibly Russell Sage and what we want to do is STEM can't happen right now kids can't go out of the classroom. Can't, people can't come in the classroom. What do you do? Well, we have a teaching college. We have RPI students. We can do Zoom videos where they go in and do demonstrations. And then kids all have computers in their room. We can have live Zooming of students or whomever to go teach. Like, let's say, tell the teacher what to get, break them up into group. And each group has somebody on Zoom actually talking to them to do like a hands-on electrical project or lever and pulley project. And this way they're having interaction outside of the classroom, inside of the classroom, and it beats having a little plastic thing all day long and not interacting with anyone. They can all interact even though we have the virus. Beverly, you came to storytelling somewhat later on in your career and did your STEM work and your teaching inform your storytelling or how does that work together? Um, well, I've had some very, very unusual things in my teaching career and personal career. And I would go to storytelling uh, groups and listen, and I drool, like, I like to do this. <laughs> I want to do it. But, you know, when you're teaching and, and I'm doing everything else, like, right. I didn't have time. So that's why I kind of gave up STEM. I wanted to go on and have something different in my life. I took some courses. I started a Cafe Lena in Proctor's. And now I'm with the Zoom, I'm really, I've done India, Australia, the West Coast and East Coast of the US. And now I'm, you know, really expanding all around. People are hearing about me and they're saying, could you come and Zoom with us? So I'm enjoying it very much. Now the stories that you tell, are they about STEM? Are they, or do you draw stories from your particular teaching experiences? I have two uh, or, or come from other parts of your life? Other, all, all, all of the above. Um, the I'd above. love to tell okay. Charlie Tuna's hiccups where a kid gets hiccups in the classroom and how we resolve the stopping of it. 
Um, I have a, a little boy who sees his dog outside my classroom and goes, my God, you have to help and save my wet, soggy dog. And um, so I do a lot of children's stories. I do do a couple of STEM stories, but um, there's two different types of the actual program. But then what I really love to tell is, well, we had an eye doctor and he brings in cow's eyeballs to dissect with the med students. My kids were so used to having hands-on science and things bringing in, they went right after the eyeballs. And I'm sitting in the corner saying, not me. I'm not going to look or be near them. It's funny how kids can really adapt and enjoy hands-on doing things. And they, if, if they don't get lecture like, oh, you don't want to touch that. They, they go right into what they want to do. And since it was 35 years I was teaching kids' kids, I'm so happy when they would come back or I'd hear that they went into careers of science, technology, engineering, and math, or they became teachers because I inspired them. And the girls became doctors and the boys became nurses. <laughs> and, um, you know, you hear everything. And I miss teaching and um, I miss STEM a lot. And that's why I'm trying to organize maybe um, RPI and SAGE should do all this, start a platform where teachers can just call in and say, I want that Zoom link for my class today. And I want to arrange for people to come in and interact with my kids on Zoom. We're beginning to get towards the end, but I do want to ask, when you go about creating a particular story, do you have a set process that you use or does it vary from depending on the kind of story you're telling? It depends on the story I'm telling, but most of the time I, I'm doing it in my head. I sometimes go to bed telling my story to myself, and then I might write it down and outline it. And I try to make it where it's not me, me, me. I try to make it, this is the story that with a, uh, something to teach everyone or things that they can share with people. Okay. So it's, I try to have a variety, and um, I have one story of faith of, of somebody that was saved their, saved their baby's life and so I really am I haven't told story tales yet fairy tales yet because I told enough in 35 years I read enough story tales to leave me a, last me a lifetime but I'm now I'm kind of trying to look to see if I can find something that I would like to tell from my heart all stories come from my heart when I tell it and if I if it doesn't touch me I don't want to do it but you are saying that in a way, while the stories, a lot of your stories are first person stories, you try to set them up so they're not about you or they're not just about you, but they're about some larger focus or sort of larger, wider element. Is that right? Exactly. Right. And if, if everyone keeps seeing you and it's, oh, it's Bev, 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 Bev. You know? So I try to give the variety and say, what do people really want to see for their own entertainment? Because storytelling is like a TV show where you're just listening to what actually happened. And it's using your voice, using your expression and using your hands, like come into my castle. You know, how you use your eyes and blink on like, the doll's head came crossing by and the eyes were blinking. I mean, you can really do a lot on Zoom to make you feel that you're really in person with the people you're talking to. So this brings us to our very last question, which is actually always the same question. And that is with our mission, is part of our mission is to encourage newbies or people who have just sort of dipped their toe in the storytelling water. So what advice would you have for newbies or almost newbies in terms of getting started with storytelling? 
I've only done this for two years. This is the end of my second year. And I'm learning a lot by watching other people tell stories. And you can tell the people that are really telling it from their heart and making sure that the details are to the point, but creative how you describe it. Say, tell a story like you would want to hear it from someone telling it. And that's what I try to do. And every time I tell the story, it's a little different because people will, that I know that hear them, uh, you have to be able to hear what they have to say because sometimes you're not aware of one, what you're doing, two, how you're coming off, and three, how you can improve it. And we all want to improve it. So I really don't take it as criticism. I take it as allowing me to grow and become a better storyteller. And go to different countries on Zoom while you can, because they're not going to last forever. And when you go to Australia, they're just like completely different in the way they tell their stories or India. And they have a lot of children involved in their Zooms besides adults. I, I'm always amazed to see that. So going around the world and seeing and hearing tales of their history or their folklore or their fairy tales, is like a new world that I haven't heard in America because they, everything is so different. Well, friends, this brings us to the end of our conversation with Beverly. Thank you, Beverly, for your story and for our conversation. Thank you. And this brings us to the end of our show. Thanks to our True Tales Live team, whose names appear in the scroll, a round of virtual applause for them, please. To keep up to date with True Tales Live, you can do that through our website, through our Facebook page, and through our e-newsletter, True Tales Times, which you can sign up for on our website. Our next show, as Amy mentioned, is November 30th on the theme of transformations. And our next workshop is two weeks from today on November 9th, 7 to 8.30 p.m. As Amy mentioned, usually the first Tuesday of each month is when we hold our workshops. But since we have Election Day, our workshop is a week later than usual. While we are a nonpartisan group, we believe in voting. And if your city or town has an election coming up, we encourage you to vote. And if you're considered telling a story, we encourage you to come to one of our workshops to sign up, go to our website. Edited by John Lovering, tonight's show will be posted on PPM TV's YouTube channel and will be broadcast on PPM TV's Portsmouth Channel 98. Tell your friends to look for it and tell them, invite them to sign up for our newsletter. That's it for tonight's show. In his remarkable book, The Hakawati, author, Rabbi Emendine writes, what happens is of little significance compared with the stories we tell ourselves about what happens. Events matter little. It's the stories of events that affect us. That's our story for tonight. We hope you found all of our stories affecting. Thanks to our tellers and our crew and you. My name is David Frainer. Good night.